Hi, everyone. Welcome to Type Talks. Today, we have ESTJ and INFP relationships. And so, Paul and Aaron, would you like to tell us a bit about you both? Good. Uh, well, hi, everyone. I'm, I'm Paul. I am an INFP. I've uh, been married to an ESTJ uh, since 2017, although we've been together since 2008. So it's a yeah, pretty nice long relationship and learning each other's strengths and and uh, non-strengths <laughs> to put a euphemistic term on it. But it's it's been it's been a wonderful yeah, dynamic and yeah, I, I really appreciate her. Excellent. Um, yeah, my name's Erin and I'm the other half of the INFP ESTJ couple, the ESTJ. And um the relationship that Paul just spoke about is the one that we've been in. And I have um, found it both enlightening and highly frustrating to be in a relationship with my exact opposite. And in this relationship, Paul is the one that holds all the knowledge on MBTI. And I more have a, an interest just in my own understanding of relationships with people that I work with in family and friends and um also for myself in getting a, a better understanding of what motivates me or makes me make the decisions that I do and why. And definitely helps sometimes in communicating in our relationship when we both have that basic understanding. Um, and because it's one of Paul's preferred ways of discussing and understanding our relationship. Thanks for having me. Yes, Paul speaks very highly of you. And Amy? Hi. My name is Amy Pluth. I have been married to my INFP husband, Joe, for it'll be 15 years this summer. And we dated for three years before that. So and met a year before that. So I met him in 02. And um, we have four kids uh, ages from eight to almost her birthday, first birthday here later this month. So um, our lives are very full, very busy. Um, I didn't get into type until uh, a couple years ago. And um, so we had worked through a lot of things before finding out type. And then it was what fascinated me about type was I was reading these things. And I'm like, Oh, that's him. That's, that's why he does that. That's a word for that. Oh, this is how I explain myself. Oh, Oh. And I, and, that, and that's what totally sent me down the rabbit hole of exploring everything. Cause I was like, Oh, okay, this stuff makes sense. So, but like Aaron, my husband's not really into it. He's got a lot of other hobbies that he's heavily invested in and we have four kids, which also keep us busy. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, I don't know if I'll get him in here. He's currently watching the kids, but hopefully they're all going down for naps. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. It's like MBTI is this decoder ring to understand your spouse or the relationship like terms terms for things you like you knew you needed words for for like mm -hmm. ideas and concepts you're like oh i've been dealing with that concept i just didn't have words for it oh that this is a word for that concept and that's one of the best things about it in my book period is i don't care if you're using socionics whatever whose version it is the fact that it gives you terms mm -hmm. or concepts that you're like oh i've been dealing with this concept that's that's a word for it. Now I can say this word and you can say that word. And now we're on the same page for a change, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, too right. yeah. It's a wonderful shared language to understand like phenomenon and put it into a single phrase and to really encapsulate it. 
That's so true. <laughs> and so my first question for you all is, what are some type-related benefits to being in the ESTJ and INFP pairing? Yeah, yeah, well, benefits. Uh, well, definitely for one thing, it's very nice to be with someone who just has that air of confidence around them. Like, just, you know, they're very, you know, very direct. Uh, they're not necessarily challenging people, but they're also, they won't shy away from them at the same time. So when it's someone like me who, you know, might be a little socially anxious, for example, or I, I get caught up in my head and start like overthinking things, uh, it's very nice to be with a person who is like, look, 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 let's just deal with this thing. Like, here we go. Like, okay, well, you know, there's that person you want to talk to. Let's go talk to them. Uh, things like that. Um, and it's it's quite exciting actually to see someone who you know wields functions in Ern's case extroverted thinking, which is my inferior with you know just such uh, like I mean she doesn't even have to think about it it's it's just who she is just like I'm who I am with my introverted feeling uh, <clears throat> yeah and I think I'll, and I think also yeah it just kind of <laughs> It's, it sounds kind of weird, but there's that sort of protective side to it where you, you actually feel more comfortable, you know, being who I, I feel more comfortable being who I am when I'm with Aaron or even someone like Aaron, because I, I work with extroverted thinkers and just seeing how they tackle, you know, the day. It, it's quite inspiring, I find. There's this air of confidence with TE doms. It's like they're very competent at what they do. You can feel and you can trust in them. Yeah. Uh, some of the things about Paul that, or his type and him as a person that I appreciate is um, the good reminders around that there's value and not just kind of charging forward with things, with thoughts or with actions. Um, and that there's there's value in feelings and emotions and the, the sides of things that people can't verbalize, that there's something else going on. Um, but that takes a lot of conscious thought for me to keep in mind at times when I'm kind of like, a, make decisions, let's go, let's keep things moving. But to take a step back and just recognize that that not everyone works that way. And that's not always the best way, even though I do have that confidence about assuming that the way that I want to do something is the best way. Um, so it's a good, it's a good balance for me and a good reminder of that. And I think it's helped me to grow as a more balanced friend and supervisor at work or coworker at work, just to be a little more aware of different ways of doing things that can be just as good as how I do them. So it's a reminder at, at home for that as well to kind of slow down sometimes and think about the 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 more emotional or the more feeling side of something that I might think is more technical or more of an obvious objective decision to make. Yeah. That's really wonderful, um, Aaron. So with extroverts, they tend to do things very fast. So something they can they they learn from their introverted partners is the value of slowing down. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, for me, one of the things I learned from my introverted partner is, um, particularly with being an FI dom, is passion. Like, I love being capable just about everything I do, you know, reasonably capable, 
I feel like, you know, but sometimes it's, hard, yeah. sometimes it's hard to find like, oh, no, this is one thing to be really crazy and nuts about and like love supremely. And it's like, well, yeah, I do. I love my family. And, you know, but it's like, no, really, I love this thing. And it's like, oh, huh. Okay. A real passion purpose thing, you know, is something I've learned from him and um, over topics. And I won't say that um, I necessarily still have particular things I'm more passionate about than he is, but it was, it was nice to find somebody who had that so that we had something to work towards. You know, we could work toward this goal of this passion area topic of his, you know, we could sacrifice and do things for it. You know, it was, it was nice to have that extra sense of goals between the two of us besides just like, you know, the basics in our lives, which would never change of, you know, family and church and us and kids and, you know, house and, you know, those kind of friends and things like that, you know, um, INFPs are, um, also, um, different on the side of what they prioritize first, if that makes sense. So like, um, they, I tend to prioritize with our kids, um, actions first in what, in, I want this action. And then I work towards the heart change later. And he's like, no heart change first action later. And while ideally we need to get to both sides of the coin, it's very funny that like right now while our kids are smaller and all you can kind of work on is the actions because, and they're, you know, you're working on the heart, but there's, but there's a lot of like metaphysical concepts. They're not ready to talk about. He's like, dude, watch me shine when our kids are getting into, you know, you know, preteen and junior high and, you know, high school. And they're start asking all these, you know, the big tough questions about all these concepts. He goes, I will be there for those conversations, you know? And it's like, yes, you will. You will most definitely be there for those conversations, leading the charge, you know, talking through, you know, why do people do this? What, you know, what do I want to do? You know, um, moral conundrums and stuff like that. And he's like, oh yes, <laughs> I cannot wait <laughs> until, you know, until they're old enough for those. Cause we, you know, he's like, I'm so ready to have those conversations. Um, it, which I find uh, makes a good balance too. point because otherwise I could get a little bit too much working everything from my point of view without acknowledging the flip side of things, you know? So it helps me slow down and go, okay, yes, we need to work on both sides of these, these equations as we can. Um, I think also being married to introvert, um, I am massively, massively extroverted. Like can't hardly stand to be by myself. In fact, I didn't realize that till I got married and I didn't work for that first summer and I realized I wasn't doing anything around the house except for watching TV and reading books because then I was with substitutionary people. And so being married to an introvert allowed me really for the first time to realize a difference in, oh, introverts need space or introverts need quiet or, you know, like time to do things like, you know, and be left alone, even if it's just okay, yes, I can sit in the room, but don't talk to me right now. You know, I'm decompressing or something. It, it gave me a chance to learn these things about introverts that I would have never realized because I grew up in a large family. You know, so if people were introverting, the only way to introvert in a large family is to go hide in your own room. Well, I didn't necessarily follow people to their bedrooms to go t talk to them. I could just stay in the living room 
or the kitchen or whatever and have other people to talk to. So having to learn the self-control of, okay, nope, I'm going to stop. I'm going to let you do your thing. You know, it's also helped me with uh, friendships on the other side of things of I am now, I, I've learned his little ticks of when he needs that introvert time. And now I can see them in other people. So I know when I'm like, okay, I'm talking to you too much. Okay. Time to hang up, you know, like hang up or go away or uh, how, you know, how often do I invite you over, you know, to invite you to do something, you know, so I'm not inviting you all the time unless we have an agreement that you say mo no, no, you know, 90% of the time. And so I just keep asking you until I hit the 10% that you actually want to agree with. <laughs> so, um, so I learned that about uh, myself and other people being married to him, which was a very useful tool as well. Yeah. Excellent insights, Amy. And so I was wondering, Paul, what is your experience being like an introvert in a relationship with an extrovert? Do you find you need more space or do you find you need more alone time? Uh, that's, that's a good question because I did notice it. And yeah. <laughs> I was let her talk. Um, yeah, one thing I've noticed, and I, I re do realize it's a trend, especially when you first start you know, dating someone, you know, you tend to drop off the social circle of your friend group, for example, you know, you just, there's like radio silence for quite a bit of it. Uh, so I, I often thought to myself, it's like, wow, you know, like Aaron's like all the person I need right now. Like even, even if we're not actually interacting, like just the fact that I'm like sitting in a room with another person was, was just enough social stimulation for me a lot of, a lot of the time. But at the same time, and I really admire this about Aaron because even though it's, I think a lot of uh, ESTJs and TE DOMs in general are sometimes accused of being like very blunt. And there's that like kind of bull in, bull in a china shop uh, perspective that a lot of them have. Uh, she's got fantastic social skills. So she's very, like, she's very good at engaging with people and, uh, it, it actually just helped me to realize this, okay, this is how she deals with, like, this is how she talks to other people. This is how, uh, you know, she, she dealt with like this challenging situation. And it's never that, again, that ESTJ stereotype where she'd like, just like cut them down <laughs> to get her own way. But no, she was just able to have a dialogue and say, Hey, listen, like, you know, this is how, this is what I think it's, it's okay if you disagree, for example, but there was never that emotional angle where like people have to be upset now for I, all the time. I, I don't want to cut you off, yeah. but I also want you to recognize that Joyce asked you a question about you. Yeah. And you started talking about me. <laughs> so yeah. uh, although you say very nice things about me, I do. What yeah. do you think for you? Yeah, I think it's, it's actually helped, helped me a lot because a lot of times and not that this is an introvert thing, but I do have a lot of social anxiety. And she's just, and again, I keep talking about Erin, but uh, she's basically provided a model for, listen, it's okay, like this is, this is how you, you can deal with people. Like I'll see how she deals with conflict, for example, with other people. And what, watching her deal with people in a conflict situation made me realize that, oh wow, it doesn't have to be scary. For example, because a lot of the times, uh, 
I, I may just avoid situations entirely that may involve conflict. So it's, it's helped me to grow a lot mm -hmm. I feel, and grow slowly. <laughs> that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Did you say grow slowly? Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I grow slowly. I take, I take my time. Yep, so five. <laughs> but like in the Enneagram system, I'm a nine and nines are notorious for, uh, you know, basically metaphorically dragging their feet, mm -hmm. so to speak. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's been wonderful to have. And I've, I feel like just, even if she's not like telling me how to deal with the problem, just the fact that I can observe her, which introverts are fantastic at, by the way, just watching what people are doing. Uh, it, it's given, it's actually given me like a concrete real world example. It's like, oh, okay. You know, I, I don't have to think through this situation all the time and all, like all the scenarios where it might go wrong because Aaron has dealt with, you know, people and situations a lot of the times and it's really no big deal. And it's helped me, uh, as a result to develop my own inferior function just more and more gradually. And, I mean, about dealing with conflict, I don't know if this is another question, but something that I think is a misconception around extroverts or maybe ESTJs, I'm not sure you can correct me, but, and I don't know if you find this, Amy, but people seem to think that we thrive on conflict or we look for conflict or, or, or that kind of drives us, but it's not, it's just that we don't we we will stand up to it we'll deal with it we'll face it but it doesn't mean that in on the inside i'm not kind of shaking or i'm not concerned about what the outcome will be or that i'm loving it it's just that i won't let it go i won't let it stand and i'd rather deal with it than have it simmer and so in i don't know if introverts because of an exception think that, oh, we love conflict, but then I'll tell Paul, I'll be like, I felt horrible doing that. I didn't feel comfortable doing it. I was shaking on the inside. And so for him, it was like, oh, really? Like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that you felt all the things that I feel when I'm dealing with conflict, but it just looks different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think the other difference is they, um, I do think what we have is we have the ability to, to in the moment, kind of turn off our emotions and just deal. And then, but what people don't realize is we get out of the situation, we start post-processing through our SI and all those emotions start flooding back because our SI remembers how we did actually feel at the moment. And all of a sudden we're like in this deluge of emotions and you're like, oh, I did not enjoy that. I don't want to do that again. But you know, it, but you war with the sense of, I want to get things done. So I'm not just going to put it off because putting it off doesn't help, you yeah. know? And then with this sense of, okay, and but I think also as you mature, sometimes you learn, wait a minute, no, putting it off or not dealing with it actually was far easier, you know, than sometimes dealing with it. Because there are times where like small things uh, uh, where like I have left my key in the ignition of my car and my car running and ran into a store and like, and I get out to the car and I'm like, oh, thank you, God, my car is still here. <laughs> because you know I left it running with the key in you know don't know yeah like but do I ever tell my husband that the day that happens no 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 because he's going to do you know like he's going to freak out you know this is the, you know it's like no that's kind of the story you say for like six months later you know <laughs> and I tell him like 
Yeah, yeah, that happened, you know, a while ago. I haven't done it since, so this is not like a repeat habit I'm developing here. You know, you can, and then it's, then it's like, oh, okay. Like I can tell he comes down faster. So sometimes you do learn like certain areas where you're like, okay, not worth dealing with at the moment, but but I think that's been a learned some trait. I've you know not my first impulse. My first impulse would just be like straight out say. You know, this is what happened today, or you're, you know, this is causing a problem. I'm going to deal with the problem. And I think it's only with um, learning to read people better and time that I've learned to to parse when's a good time to um, have this problem and when's not. So to act like that. Yeah, I'm glad you said that, Amy, because yeah, I had like the opposite approach where it's like, I'll just like, yeah, like, you know, deal with, keep things inside a lot, like anything I'm dealing with at work, for example. It wasn't until fairly recently that I like started to share like what went on in my day and like this person did this thing that really pissed me off and like this, then this problem happened and, and it's not like, like I have a crazy stressful job or anything, but it's just those little things that start stacking up. And uh, yeah, and at the same time, I thought it's like, well, this really upset me. So if I tell her about it, like it could really upset her or something like that. Yeah, and yeah but at the same time, it's like, oh no, yeah, because she shared, she's really good at sharing with me about like what happened in her day and problems she had to deal with, for example. So mm-hmm. it, yeah, it's kind of like the flip side flip side of that where I've learned to try to be and it's always a ch- it's always a struggle like I'm not I am no I am not TE levels <laughs> talking about you know the immediate problems uh, because I yeah because I worry about them but I've gotten better and better I feel yeah there seems to be some INFP overthinking and over overwhelmed from getting from over overthinking or processing <laughs> over processing yeah. 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 It's just like rolling around. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like washing the laundry. Potential yeah. risks. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sharing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's like, I want, I wish you would share more because some of those are like, we're, we, I can recognize when this is going to be a long, continuous problem. You know, like, that's a problem. It's not going to be easy to fix, you know. But sometimes I want you to share the problems because I, I look at you and go, that one's not as big as you're making it. You know, it's not quite that big. There is a simpler solution. You know, like we can just do this thing over here. And while it may not be perfect, it's going to be, a, you know, 75% better, you know. And so sometimes it's like, okay, can, you know, go ahead and share those. And we'll, you know, we can maybe cut through some of them, you know. And quite frankly, if they really are the long drawn out, mm-hmm problem ones, don't feel like I'm going to get stuck in a processing loop over it. Like, yeah, I know it's your problem, but I'm not going to sit here worrying all day about that. You know, I got enough stuff I'm, you know, doing and dealing with that. I'm not going to sit here and get in the same processing loop you are to the same degree. So don't feel like you can't share those problems because you're worried that all of a sudden I'm going to be like, you know, permanently depressed or, you know, permanently absorbed in in trying to figure out the same way you are, because I don't process things the same way. And and that's the like that's one of the ongoing conversations we have in our relationship is around Paul for a long time not sharing. 
And so not communicating in a way that I wanted to communicate with him and know him better and be a part of his life. And for him to be sharing more now, it's it's taking advantage of the fact that we're in a, a committed relationship that we can share each other's burdens and each other's problems and help each other work through them. So when he wasn't telling me these things, I couldn't do that for him and with him. And I was doing it like I was sharing and kind of putting more stuff on him, but then he was just internalizing it and making it his own problem without bringing it out again so that we could work it out together. So Mm -hmm. you were saying, Amy, it was the opposite. When I would share, it would put it on him to go into that processing loop where he felt he had to figure it out himself. But that wasn't the reason I was telling it. It was because it was making it known. And how can we work on this together? How can we benefit Mm -hmm. from two people working on one? person's problem in different ways so mm-hmm. that I think is a, a really big benefit of being opposites mm-hmm. and being able to support each other but we came at it from very different places so it was nailing exactly what you said around we we can do this together in different ways more effectively than either of us can probably do it alone one of the things I realized with my husband was that if he wanted because he's been in ministry and he deals with what has dealt with a lot of sensitive topics is that there were occasionally times where he'd have topics he he shouldn't share with me. But usually they were either something that was bound by confidentiality due to work or whatever, or it was something where we had dealt with the topic before, but it was getting to the point I couldn't handle it. But I could tell him that. And it was really usually abundantly obvious to him that I wasn't dealing well with it. I'd end up in like massive crying jags over it or, you know, really vengeful feelings or, you know, stuff that, and so there, there have been one or two times where he hasn't shared things with me, but what I'd want an INFP to know is we'll probably tell you when we've hit our load, you know, like when you've given us too much to process through, we'll probably tell you because we'll probably start shutting you up about it. You know, like, no, don't talk to me about that. Or we'll start um, avoiding the conversation, you know, you may start it and we'll change it, you know, like we're perfectly capable (laughs) of doing that and throwing up a wall if we don't want to deal with it. So it's kind of one of those, I think it would be better for an INFP to just go ahead and start like, just, just assume you can share it until you hit the point you can't instead of tiptoeing in going, um, can I share this much? Okay. Can I share this much? No, no, just start tossing it all out there. We'll let you know when we've hit too much because there are also some existential worries you guys have. I don't care how much you're stressing about it. I will not care. Like, it's just like, I'm just going to look at you and go, yeah, that's your, that's your problem. I'm sorry for you. Like, not going to, it's never going to worry me. You know, like, I'm just not going to be stressed by that. So, you know, but you'll never know if that's a, if it's that kind of topic where you can just like, you know permanently vent on it or not without actually telling me about it <laughs> either. So. Yeah. I, I noticed that about INFPs where they internalize something and they'll think about the intricacies of the scenario and they'll really like self-examine and examine the whole thing, but they won't really share with you like what they're th- thinking sometimes. Yeah. So I guess the ESTJ would appreciate more collaboration and like to, I guess they can take more than the INFP might assume. So just give the ESTJ your all and the ESTJ will tell you when they've hit their limit. 
Yeah. Yeah. Good summary for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I used to do that. I used to assume that, you know, my problems would be like too much for, you know, for Aaron in this case. And which is really unfair to make those kind of assumptions about another person in the first place. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And and I, and I think because, I, I don't know, I don't know if it's INFPs, but there's that tendency to like self-flagellize where it's like, oh, I have to like, do, you know, wallow in my angst. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a stereotype. It's like, like I'm not, I'm not a teenager, you know, anymore. It's, you know, you don't have to, like, you know, just oh my problems. Uh, and and again, because yeah, an ESTJ or an ENTJ, you know, they they will tell you when they've had enough, you know, and and they'll, you know, assuming they care about you, they'll they'll be nice about it, but they'll be very clear. It's like, you know, so you don't have to assume. Yeah. That kind of thing about it. That it's what I what I have is too much for you. Yeah. And the other thing that can help is I've noticed is with any introverted uh, processor is if you can't remember to tell me where you're at in your process, I've just learned to be bold and ask. And I've also learned to but when I do that, I, I always add the comment. If you have an answer, you know, if you have a new thought on this, would you tell me if you don't? Okay, that's fine. You're still, you're still over there processing, whether it's thinking or feeling, you know, you're still over there. But it it becomes easier to wait patiently. If I can just check in and see, do you have, you know, have you come to an answer? Nope. Okay. All right. I can, you know, I can learn to leave it alone as opposed to feeling like, okay, did they come up with an answer a month ago and just didn't tell me? that they came up with an answer because they were afraid I wouldn't like the answer or they were afraid I was going to change, you know, add some new comment that was going to change the answer, you know, like, so it was just easier to like, you know, having the freedom to feel like, okay, I can check in and go, okay, do do you got an answer yet? Okay. No, fine. You know? Yeah. I would, I, I think that's true that it takes a lot of processing time, but I do get frustrated with Paul when there's, topics or issues that come up in our relationship that like to be fair it's been kind of years that we try to work through things and I bring it I keep bringing it up because the situation remains and I keep bringing it up and he has a really hard time talking about it and he hasn't got to that final solution or you know gotten through all the processing and it's we I feel like we don't move as far as we could be if he could just get to a point where he could just tell me what his answer is or get to the end of that processing road because it's hard for him to verbalize it when he hasn't gotten to the end of it. And that is fairly consistent with some of the topics that we talk about. So we don't get to where I would want to get to in terms of moving forward because it's just this constant regurgitating of, what the what the issues are or what the solutions could be or how things are going to change but it doesn't really move it forward so I find that frustrating and I I don't know how to change that and I don't want to force him to pick something or decide on something that he doesn't fully embrace or feel comfortable with but yeah you get to your like okay we just need to move past this like we yeah. just need to decide and move mm-hmm. forward it's the classic uh, can we just make like a temporary decision? 
you know, sometimes TE feels like this to me where it's TE is a lot of temporary decisions, you know, like based on right now, this is the answer, you it's know, the best oh, yeah, yeah that's the, it, it's a temporary right now answer. It can, it, this is open to change in the future. And I know that both TI and FI hate that, you know, they hate a temporary solution that just yeah. not, not their thing. It, it's both, both of you. It's not, you know, unique to IFPs. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but some, so I think that there's a kind of a balance point in a relationship where the, where a TE dom needs to learn to wait patiently, maybe check in, you know, see if there's an answer, see if there's not, you know, balance point of patience with a balance point, maybe on the introverted processor side of, okay, can we at least enact a temporary fix? You know, yes, we know it's not perfect. I get this may feel uh, inauthentic or untruthful to you, but this really does help my sense of relief, you know, to have at least some kind of temporary fix going on. And, you know, we're even willing to call it a temporary fix, you know, because in our minds, it is one, even though we may sound like it's not a temporary fix. <laughs> I know full well, a lot of my temporary fixes don't sound like temporary fixes to everybody else. But in my mind, it's, you know, kind of a temporary fix. So, and no, I don't sound different about things that aren't temporary fixes compared to things that are. I've also, I have no, noticed that about myself. I can talk just as dogmatically about things I will never, ever change as temporary fixes. Like, it's hard to tell the difference for other people, for other people tell the difference in the way I talk. And I, that is something I've noticed about myself. Um, there is kind of a balance point between those, those two sides of it of, okay, can we come up with, you know, learning to learn patience and learning, okay, maybe we can at least put a temporary fix in here for the moment. And then, you know, as soon as a better one comes along and we'll, you know, we'll come to, we'll come and bring it up again. And also to be honest, there've been times where um, if I understand the situation well enough, I can come back to you after a temporary fix and go, okay, this isn't like, I found something better you know, that was the temporary fix. I think we can improve this, you know? And I think sometimes um, uh, integrated processors don't always realize how much we're willing to, yes, we fix it and forget it, but if it becomes obvious to us that there was, there was a better method, we do change. And sometimes they don't always realize that, you know? And it's like, they assume that because they gave us a temporary answer, we will never ever look farther for a better one. No, no, not, not really true. You know, like if we really can find a better solution, we're really are on board with it. And if we find it without you, we'll, we'll tell you, you know, Hey, uh, found a better solution over here. So. That's a um, big motivator. That's a definitely a big motivator for me is like, so if something better comes along, I'd rather do the better thing. Keep, keep improving. Mm -hmm. I, and I think sometimes it's just a matter of like, you just have to in the conversation be like, okay, this is a temporary measure or this is no, this is a forever permanent decision. You know, like I'm never changing on this topic or no, this is really just a temporary one. If I find something better subject to change, you know, we'll do that. But it's one of those, you have to almost have like include that caveat while you're talking because mm -hmm. coming out of ESTJ mouth, 
a lot of people can't tell the difference. <laughs> yeah, so that's an interesting concept you bring up. I love the term temporary fix. And I feel like that's because ESTJs are judges and they want closure with the situation. So even though it's not a permanent solution, it's, it gives some sense of closure for how to deal with the situation rather than none at all. So I feel like sometimes perceivers like to leave things open-ended to not really make a decision yet. And, and so the judger will want to go like, no, we need to decide on something. It's okay if it's not perfect, but there needs to be something, a placeholder there. Yeah, we have to have a current plan for the group. A plan. You know, it's a current plan, um, you know, that we can all kind of abide by at the moment. And if yeah. we don't have that current plan, it just feels very frustrating to us. That's the difference there. And I think being in a relationship, like if, you know, when I was single or if I was alone at this point, I have no problem making those decisions for myself. But I being in a relationship, I want it to be shared. Like that's that's yeah, part of the, that's the point. Yeah, you want it to be a shared decision that you both agree with. You don't always want to be the only one making the decision for your family or your mm -hmm. your partner. You yeah. want them to be a part of it. And so it's it can be really frustrating when you want to hear their opinion about it or they want you want to hear another way to approach making that decision and they're not able to give that or not able to build on what you're suggesting necessarily. Because you, you also, because you're making that decision sometimes on behalf of both of you, you're also responsible for if it goes wrong or the risks that are associated. So you just want to make it clear that it is it's something that's shared and you're both supportive of for the to the best of your knowledge for what you know for it whether it's temporary or long term that you're both on board with it so that can be frustrating when you feel like you often carry the brunt of the decision making and the logical or analytical way of getting to that fix whether it's temporary or not so it's just that seeking to have that balance with someone mm -hmm. else who's in that relationship with you yeah, no, I think, and I really love the term temporary fixes because there's a reassurance there. And I've noticed with yeah, ESTJs and TE DOMs in general, like they speak with such certainty, like everything comes out like a directive. Uh, and it's not necessarily the case. It's just a communication style. It's, it's just like with us, especially because my secondary function is any, and we are notorious for having like these really, really weird rambling conversations. And then we get distracted and go off on tangents and uh, things like that. But doesn't mean we're not trying to get somewhere <laughs> with, with what we're saying. So yeah, it's just how people perceive everyone's different communication styles. Uh, and, and of course, there's that thing where it's like, oh, oh, I have to have the decision, the one that like, you know, all caps, like, you know, so perfect. So is, you know, you got this like beautiful thing, like up on a pedestal somewhere. It's like, yes, this is what we must do. This is our ideal uh, <laughs> where, you know, you find you hemming and hawing. And again, with my secondary function, any, you start like, you know, getting distracted by all these different possibilities. Like, oh, but I could go this way or I could go in this direction. Oh, what about this one? And and again, because if as an FI user, you know, you want everything to, you want to be certain about everything. It, you, this has to be authentic. <laughs> uh, and it's actually really, really reassuring to hear this from TE DOMs that like, no, this, this is a temporary fix. Like, yeah, like let's do something, but it doesn't mean, oh, well, there's no going back now. 
uh, there, you know, this is not the point of no return. This is just yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. So a different uh, problem I've noticed at times when it comes to the amount of decisions that the in, in this pairing can happen is it wasn't as noticeable when we didn't have kids because he would take care of his own sensor issues. You know, he can take a shower, he can do laundry, he can cook a meal. But when we started having kids and we there were more actual world things that had to be done, you know, like, okay, what time are they going to bed? You know, meals now have to be bigger. We have to clean them up. We have to clean the toy room, you know, like stuff like that. He, there have been times where I felt like, oh, I'm having to make so many decisions here. And some of it's because I'm the mom and I'm home with them most of the time. So, you know, I am making decisions all, you know, all day long. And well, in general, I'm very good. And, and I have a lot of, um, uh, I heard it described once as decision fatigue. Some people experience and particularly moms can experience this on the side of they're making so many, you know, if your job requires you to make so many decisions during the day, by the time you get home, you may have decision fatigue and you may be like, no, can't make another choice. Do not make me make another choice. Um, yes, like me? What? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, like yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's, like, it's, ooh, yeah. it's one of those here. things that it, it depends on load in your life at the moment. But I think it definitely, if you have kids and you're a sensor and they're in and intuitive, I think it, it's much more noticeable. Like when it was just the two of us, it wasn't as bad, you know, but now that we have, you know, kids running around and more scheduling things to deal with, you know, um, more timelines to deal with more, um, more, you know, just facts and things like that, that it becomes, it's like, I need your input, you know, even if I'm, I'm practically making the decision, if I can just have an input from you as to, yeah, we should do this. It helps me because TE is a group cohesive function. And if I feel like I'm making all these decisions in a back vacuum, I start doubting myself. So like, I need you to say, yeah, that was a great decision or yes, this is the goal. Therefore we make these choices, you know? And, and sometimes it, you know, it, it helps me with my sense of um, confidence, as funny as that sounds, coming from a TE dom of, okay, yeah, we c- I can make a lot more small decisions with no, not using up my decision maker if I feel like other people would back me up on them. You know, if yeah. I feel like other people are, uh, you know, yep, I would have made the same choice. No, that was a good choice. You know, things like that. And and my husband is a self-motivated person, which I don't know that that necessarily correlates to anything in MBTI as far as that goes. But because he's self-motivated and compliments don't really work particularly well on him, he doesn't give them very often. I am not a self-motivated person. I am a response motivated person from other people like i have you know yes i have my own personal core values but i'm much more likely to do something because somebody else has expectations on me so um if he doesn't um either back up what i've done in the past so that i have confidence to do it again like you know 
okay, our kid is having this issue. I disciplined this way today. It seemed to work, you know, him saying, yeah, that was a great plan. Or did you, you know, maybe I would have done this or, you know, something like that, or he's home. So he deals with it this time. And we show a united front on the side of, you know, no, really, (laughs) we're not going to put up with you being, you know, whatever the problem is. Um, uh, It helps me to, it gives me the energy for next time I see it, I'm by myself. Okay. I can do this, you know, like everybody else, you know, the important person's on my side, you know, they would have said no, I can say no, you know, or things like that. So it, sometimes I've noticed just the decision fatigue on the side of, okay, how many physical things am I juggling that it got worse once we had kids compared to just being single, you know? And so it's just something I would encourage people to watch out for on the side of, okay, so you're now making a lot more choices just you know verbalize either appreciation for the fact that we're making these choices or maybe um as much as this might be hard sitting down and making either some kind of schedule or routine for certain activities like you know he usually does pay the bills which is great i don't have to worry about that but um you know if we if i know our routine expectation is yes we do take the kids to the dentist you know every time we're supposed to, as opposed to putting it off, that might help me on the side of, okay, I made the appointment. I took the kids to the dentist. We got that done. You know, if there are, if he doesn't lay out expectations, it's harder for me to do them, you know, because him just mentioning that, you know, Hey, you know, I like it when you do this once may not be enough for me to actually like keep doing it. You know, I might, you know, if he says, uh, like the kitchen, like the kitchen cleaned up, well, it may make him feel better when he gets home from work for the kitchen to be cleaned up. But if he doesn't say something, I have a hard time remembering to make sure it stays clean. Like I might have gotten it clean at a different point, but it may be dirty again because I made dinner, you know, like, <laughs> but so I need those um, re- repeated reassurances of, okay, no, yes. Notice my sensor stuff I'm getting done here because without other people backing me up, it can feel very lonely. Yeah, what I notice about J.I. is that it doesn't, like what Amy said, it doesn't always voice its expectations. You kind of have to realize, you kind of have to realize through an action you did and then realize how they're responding to it, that how they care about it or how they how they see it sometimes because it's not always readily apparent. Yeah, whereas with ESTJs, they lead with TE, which is a function that needs feedback to to orientate itself, to keep adjusting and calibrating. And so it, it, it makes decisions easier when the expectations are clearer. Right, it, feedback is critically important for EDOM. We need that calibration off somebody else. And if we, we're not getting it from you, it, it makes it hard to feel like we're on the same page. I've done other like personality types and with Clifton, Clifton strengths, one of my top five is or two of them, I think, are acknowledgement and recognition. And what you're saying, Amy, really feels very similar to that, that it's not praise all the time, but it's like recognizing it and seeing that it's important to hear back about what your actions are, Mm -hmm. like what they're looking like. One of the practical things I've actually started doing for myself is when my husband gets home and I'm telling him all about my day, I will literally start listing like, hey, I did a load of laundry. And did you notice the kitchen was clean? And I'm, and, and I kind of won't stop 
pestering about him about the fact I did these things until he says, yes, I did. Or thank you, honey. Like I literally started doing, and, and I am hoping someday, like it'll get to the, become kind of an automatic response with him of, you know, I'll probably still be listing what I did for the day, but you know, I won't be having to like drag those compliments out, you know, like they'll just kind of be, you know, because honestly, even sometimes a, a thoughtless agreement is what may seem like to you, but that's enough for me to keep going. And as for the feedback thing, I actually noticed Joyce, um, when we did a solo interview between you and me, you had to turn your mic off because you were having audio problems in the background. I actually found it hard to keep talking. Like you've got it off now, which is fine because Paul and Aaron have their mic on. And even though I don't really hear much coming from Paul and Aaron while I'm talking, I need that feeling of having that bounce back from them in order to keep going. Like I lose my train of thought. I lose where, you know, where I'm going with things. If, if I lose, it's just even a simple sense of, you know, of things, but I do lose it if, I don't get bounced back. Yeah. So extroverts kind of operate with a back and forth with the external world. So if the external world isn't giving any feedback back, it can be hard for the extrovert to go like, um, <laughs> like it, it, it's a tricky predicament. And so Aaron mentioned strengths finder and the top strengths are very similar to what we're talking about, about ESTJs. And so my theory about this is that like a lot of psychometrics have a lot in common. And so sometimes they're describing the same thing, but using different terminologies to, to yeah. say it. Yeah, yeah. And one day I plan to create an indicator that can like consolidate them more into like one yeah. place. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because when Erin took the Clifton Strengths, she got a free trial where I could do my top five. And it was just really interesting saying, wow, we have nothing in common <laughs> in our top five, at least. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I really appreciated that happening. Yeah, I, re I read the book Clifton Strengths and mm -hmm. I marked which ones I thought were my husband's and which ones were mine. And they were very different. And mm -hmm. so I had him read his and, or, no, I think I found a free version online that's not theirs, but same topics, uh, same names mm. for whatever, you know, for, and he did it and I looked at his and they were similar to the ones in the Cliff Strangers, Clifton Strengths book, you know, like, and, but yeah, they were very different between the two of us. But sometimes I also think like how uh, INFP describes an ESTJ sometimes is different than the way that ESTJ describes an ESTJ. And so there is sometimes like a, a difference there of, you know, when you're trying to learn about somebody else, if it's getting confusing for you, it's probably because it was written from the perspective of somebody who doesn't share your cognitive functions or doesn't share your Clifton strengths or whatever, you know, it's probably a description written from their point of view of somebody else. And it's not helping you triangulate because you don't know that side, you know, wherever they're writing from. You know, where for like, <laughs> I think I've gotten pushback from NI users when to me, I say NI is kind of similar to the an Oracle function of they don't really know why they have this answer, but they have this answer and they know it's right. And I think the reality is their brain is processing a million details in the background, but it, it's so 
overloaded by some of those details. It just shuts them all off and just gives the answer. But I've gotten almost pushback from NI users going, no, that's not quite how it works. I'm like, well, sitting in this seat over here, that's how it looks. Like, And when my NI goes off, that's about all how it goes off. Because I mean, it might go off, you know, like that where, oh, this is the answer. Not that it goes off very often. NI is not, you know, NI and I are, NI are not close. <laughs> but, you know, but I, I've sensed that sometimes from other people. So, you know, if you're finding a description that's not working, I think it just has to do as much with the vantage point of who wrote the article as it is anything else. You know, the words they're using to describe it, you know, can make a huge difference because language is flexible. There's no way you can just say, hey, we're all going to use the exact same word description for this phenomenon. That's just unfortunately never going to happen. I think uh, MBTI gets you closer in the fact that we have terms that we can kind of more agree on, you know, for phenomenon, but I don't think we can ever come to the point of saying, hey, this is the description for TE that everybody can agree on. You know, I just don't think it's quite going to ever get there, you know, because if you make it that exhaustive, a TE user is going to be like, dude, this is way too long. You I know? think it's, just, it's good to know some of the different instruments out there and see which ones resonate with you or with your work or colleagues mm -hmm. or family or friends, and then just be able to, I mean, I'm not well versed in all of them, but I've done DISC and Harrison assessment and Clifton strengths and insights and MBTI. And they're all interesting. And, and you're right, Joyce, they're, they're similar. They have a lot of similarities and it's just what, you know, what terminology you're most familiar with and want to use or feel that you can, that you understand and can verbalize or use in your life too. So yeah, I, I agree. It's, you can't get a hundred percent agreement, but I think it's just that willingness to, to investigate it and see where you land and where others in your life land and um, use that as a, a way to communicate about differences and similarities. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll echo that as well. It's a lot of it is finding like with personality systems and typologies, it's finding ones that really resonate with you for whatever reason, sometimes you connect with them immediately. Like I used to roll my eyes with the Enneagram because it sounded like very mystical and woo woo, quote unquote. But I've, uh, especially in recent years, I've, I've gotten more and more uh, intrigued by it, for example. But, and, and I guess that's the point really like, yeah, we'll never really agree 100% on what it is. And sort of that temporary fix we were talking about earlier, it's like, yeah, this may not be the permanent, <laughs> permanent solution, but it's working for now because even if we don't necessarily 100% agree, we can kind of figure out where we're all coming from. And, and, and with yeah. with MBTI, because that's one that Paul is really familiar with, familiar with and invested in, like I'm willing to learn more about it so that I can more effectively communicate with him in a way that he's comfortable with and familiar with yeah. as well. Yeah. So that's part of like understanding how much processing he does and how much thinking he does. And if I can just jump in and understand it in an academic way, I think that helps us mm -hmm. as a couple. Yeah. Just like what she did Clifton strengths, like she did as part of her MBA. And so they got, you got really involved with it, right? Like with a course and yeah. an instructor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like, I had no, like I'd heard of it, but I had no idea. 
And so when she when she told me she was doing this, like I geeked out. Was oh my god, you know about this thing, and I know nothing about it. So teach me, <laughs> show me your resources, <laughs> impart your knowledge. It was it was very exciting. So, yeah. That is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, I, I I love all those stories. When you were all talking about, there's not a hundred percent agreement. Like my my intuitive side was like, there's not a hundred percent agreement yet. And I'm like, it could be one day. I hope yeah, it, and that's one of those things. It's it, it it's that push pull function of um, uh, JI processes, and sometimes um, even you know uh, PI processes of they want you know 100% answer, and extrovert functions just realize there's very few things in life that are can be absolute. You know, like we can all agree on, you know, uh, I mean, as much as my uh, four-year-old keeps telling me things like um, he, he he's in this mode right now where he's like, he'll, he'll give you an answer to something and it's just objectively wrong. You know, it's like, and I'm like, no, that's not what it is. So like, and so I tell him the right answer and then he just reaffirms his own personal one again. And I'm like, no, dude, like, I just cannot allow you to keep this opinion. You need to tell tell me what the objective opinion is right here because you're you can pick your own favorite color, but that hat is orange. You know, like you cannot tell me the hat is green. That does not work. You know, you're not colorblind. You know, there there's no extenuating circumstances under which <laughs> hat is green. It is an orange hat. You know, and so we're having these conversations with him, and it cracks me up because recently I've noticed that he. He's learning to say, when I ask him a question, um, yesterday we were at our cousin's house and cousin came and saying, he threw rocks at me. So he got called in. I said, Harper, were you throwing rocks at your cousin? He goes, I think I say yes. And I realized what it was is he didn't want to like, he didn't have a problem with throwing rocks at his cousin, but he knew that I would have a problem with him saying that, you know, like, he knew that he had to give the answer I was looking for, even though he didn't want to admit that as being truth. Mm -hmm. You know, like he, he was like, Oh, I have to give the answer you want, or I'm going to be in so more trouble than I, you know, like I already am. And I'm like, and it hit me. I'm like, Oh, that's almost a lesson. Sometimes, you know, you have to learn uh, on the side of, okay, I don't just get to do what, you know, <laughs> I want to do. I have to like, go with other people sometimes you know like <laughs> it's just you know there there are areas where i'm totally cool with you having your own personal opinion and there are some areas where i'm like no dude you just you can't you can't you don't get to have a subjective opinion on that because <laughs> <laughs> you want to it's just not gonna work <laughs> yeah it is objectively false <laughs> yeah and the, yeah and those are two phrases i learned in learning all about this that I'm using on my kids a lot of going, okay, is this an objective truth or is this a subjective truth? Okay. And that it helps me in guiding, like, particularly when I like have to say, you know, you're lying or something like that. Keeping those two thoughts mm -hmm. in front when I'm asking, you know, asking for information helps me go, helps me determine when to say to them, okay, no, <laughs> nope, that doesn't work. <laughs> you're lying. We're going to fix this. It makes it for good measurement standard yeah yeah seems like really good parenting 
And so my next question for you all is, I noticed that the FP and the TJ pairing is quite common. So I'm wondering why y'all think that might be the case. Why do TJs normally get like get with FPs? Do you have a theory? Your experiences? <laughs> yeah. Um, I have to say it certainly wasn't an attraction I had from the get-go, like even with friends, for example, because, and I guess, you know, just growing up, that's kind of how you learn to deal with people who are different <laughs> than you, because oftentimes early on, you'll you'll be very negative about anyone who's different. So like the TJ stereotype, especially as kids, is like, oh, they're bossy. They just want to get their own way all the time and order people around, you know, like little dictators, uh, <laughs> things like that. And it took me It's hilarious that you describe it as they want to order everybody around. Yeah, well, because that's how it works. Like, why would you do that? I didn't want to. It's just... That yeah. this stuff, you're doing it wrong. Like this is how yeah. it goes. Like yeah. I don't tell you you're wrong, but you're wrong, and I just have to tell you that you you were doing it wrong, and this is not how mom taught us to do it. Mm -hmm. And you know, yeah. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. That's how other people see it is. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and it like reminds me because like like in Harry Potter, Hermione Granger is usually considered to be an ESPJ. And there's that classic scene in the classroom with Ron, you know, the Wingardium Leviosa scene where, you know, he's, he keeps mispronouncing, you know, I think he's saying Wingardium Leviosa. And so like, stop, stop. You're saying it wrong. It's Leviosa. It's not Leviosa. Leviosa. You know, uh, I may have, I may have screwed up that dialogue, but anyway, it's that whole thing. It's like, like, what, like, what are you doing? And she's not like trying to make him do what she wants. She's just like, like this. That's not the. You're, this is objectively not what you're supposed to be doing. Just do it right. Let me help you. And yes. when she hears him making fun of her, like calling her a nightmare and stuff, like she actually gets upset because she wasn't trying to impose her will. She was actually trying. That's like, that's how they help people. Like, and it, I can understand, granted, they're all like all 11 year old kids, but it's like, yeah, I'd be upset too, I guess, if I, if I was like trying to help someone out in some way, like if I, as an FP, it's like, oh, let's talk about our problems and stuff. And so, and, you know, it's like, you know, just go through it and it's, it's all good. And somebody said, why would I want to do that? That's stupid. You know, like I'd be upset by the same thing. So anyway, aside from, <laughs> aside from the Harry Potter tangent there. I definitely came to appreciate it more and more, especially as I started working with TJs, because initially I was like, oh, these are the people who are gonna come down on me for wasting time and stuff. But as I got to know them more and more, I'd start to see there was so much more to them than that. There's like there's like nuances. And I actually appreciate like, you know, I really suck at time management or making objective decisions, like especially in a short time span, because I'll start obsessing over what to do. And But these people, they're so good at it. And that's where, you know, like realizing the differences, and that's where like I started to admire and appreciate it. And someone said, well, these people are really cool, uh, you know, because they're so different, but they're so strong in ways where I am not. and. And again, it's just getting to know people. And just because they're really good at objective decision-making doesn't mean they don't have a softer side or they don't have a playful side or a silly side. 
And I've definitely noticed that with Erin, for example, like, yeah, she's great at decision-making, but doesn't mean that's all there is to her. Like, yeah, she, she loves to be playful and she loves to be affectionate and kind. And there's, she has values. She cares so deeply about, like she's involved with environmental work and social outreach. And is like, wow, like, that's really cool. She just goes, goes about it in a different way. <laughs> anyway, I'm starting to gush here. So I'm gonna, <laughs> uh, I'll, uh, do you, do you want to say something? Yeah. I, I guess I'm, I, I hear what you're saying about the bossiness with the TJ, but I probably am not well-versed enough to know what the FP flip of that is to be able to, to speak to it. Yeah. We're, we're like honest. flaky emotional basket cases. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's either flaky emotional or dramatic emotional. It depends on how strong yeah. the particular topic is that they're attached to. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, I, yeah, I'd say it's a time waster then. Like that would have been my initial way of thinking about it. It's like, why are we wasting time talking about our feelings or thinking about feelings when like the material part of moving forward or, or life or work or whatever just needs to just need to get there, like just need to go through it. It seemed like a lot of pandering to things that didn't seem as important, at least when I was younger, I would say that would be how I would have approached it of like, this is, you know, kind of the eye roll response would have been it. It's like, oh, is this necessary? Is this necessary? I guess is a good way to say, it. like, how does this move it along? But then it's just appealing more to the recognizing, like, the human side of it for myself in that way is important to people's feeling valued and feeling um, it, it just different, recognizing that it's just a different approach and that everyone has to some degree that need to to feel and that it will be very complementary to just people's well-being at work or times when it, I, I guess I say this more at work because I feel like that's where typically or historically emotions are not really welcome often when there's people at the top that are more driven by decision making and outputs and quantitative results to move forward and I was more geared that way and now there's just much more to be said for leaving room and space for people to feel welcome in different ways to to at the decision making table or mm. the way that people are approached with how they feel valued at work mm. it's that for me is how it, it comes up and then at home like in our relationship i i would say i've i've I see because Paul is so deeply emotional that it's made me much more forgiving in a work environment and seeing it in, in expressed in people differently. So it's helped me to learn about how he is motivated, what he values, and just understand how recognizing and validating his emotions actually gives me better results in our relationship. And that is also gives me better results with people I work with that are more geared in that way as well. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that one of the things I learned was like you can hold an opinion that doesn't really have a reason you know like not one that can be explained you know or validated that I learned that you, you know I could just it's okay I have an opinion I don't have to explain it I don't have to validate it I don't have very many like that you know, personally, but I learned to appreciate that people have them 
and it's okay that they have them. And I learned to not always expect, like I could ask them for a reason. And if they didn't have one, I've learned to be like, Oh, okay. You don't have one. You don't have a, you know, a reason for it, but that's okay that you don't have a reason for it. You are, you are allowed to have an opinion without valid, you know, without validation from my perspective or agreement or agreement from my perspective, which was something that I, that helped me. Cause I mean, when we were first married, I would jokingly refer to um, decisions that I didn't have um, uh, reasons for as a uh, women's court, like kind of the old, like in books, like women's prerogative to change your mind or something like, like, and I jokingly refer to that. But now I think if I were to describe it now, I'd say, no, that's my five values. Those are the things I don't, I just hold. Like I, it may seem completely um, unverified, completely illogical, you know, whatever, doesn't matter. It's still a valid opinion of mine. I'm allowed to act on this. You know, I can react based on this opinion and that's okay. I don't have to have, you know, backup or explanation. And, and also I don't have to explain to you why I have this opinion, but it's, it's allowed me a freedom in learning to do that, but also learning to recognize from other people when it's like, okay, no, that's just an opinion they have and they're allowed to have it. Or, you know, sometimes even it's on the measure of, you know, yeah, I would agree with you. That's horrible. But because you've had, you know, and so we're going to agree on this result, but because you've actually had personal experience with it to you, it's like, we agree, but you feel this agreement so much more viscerally than I do, you know, on the topic because you've got past drama with it or experiences with it. And it's, and, and it's helped me learn not to be afraid of somebody who's like that. You know, mm-hmm. um, my, my parents are divorced and my husband's parents are not. So mm-hmm. like, if I ever talk about, you know, some things, he, he just doesn't get it. You know, he would agree that, you know, their divorce was harmful. There was harmful results of it, you know, stuff like that. And even for my parents who had a fairly, you know, who'd been amicable to each other, no, you know, no real fighting that I ever saw, you know, happened, you know, kind of when I was young, you know, that, and it compared to many number of stories, my story is actually very tame, but Mm -hmm. he's like, I just don't get it. And I'm allowed to have my visceral responses to it that he he, he'll agree with the outcome, but he just doesn't have that visceral response because he doesn't have the background. But it's given me uh, an ability to allow that to other people too, that they're allowed to have a visceral response to something that maybe, you know, I agree with your end result, but I don't just don't have that visceral sense to it because I didn't go through that and it's allowed and it's okay. And I can learn to make space for other people's visceral responses to things, you know, Things that have happened this summer in our country, things that have happened this last year in our country, I can look at a lot of them on, you know, certain parts of it and go, yeah, I, I agree with you. That's bad or that's wrong. But, you know, for some of them, I just don't have the visceral response other people have because I haven't been close enough to, you know, actual events or, you know, have close friends that have personal horror stories that I've heard. And so because my friend's hurting, I'm hurting and, you know, and I respond in that manner. And so I think it's one of those things that you have to learn for yourself and learn about other people, but then also hold space when it's not happening to you, you know, or other people, they don't, they're not having the same response you are to things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To hold space for the spectrum of responses someone could have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really nice to hear about all of the life lessons that your your partner taught you about them. So I'm wondering if you guys have any more lessons that you've learned from each other that you'd like to share. I feel like I'm, I'm I learn lessons every day. <laughs> no, no, said, said said with love. It's uh, I I'm really impressed, and I think I've mentioned the conflict thing before, just because it's something like I've always struggled with. But I'm really impressed with how ESTJs can yeah, handle a situation where. And I can be in the situation with them. Like mm-hmm. I was saying about this time, like got in an argument with some guy on a bus. This is a while back. And yeah, Aaron was in the situation with me. And and like I I felt myself like getting like so worked up. Like I wasn't externally losing it, but like inside, like I was like a boiling point. And it was like, like, man, man, I'm gonna I'm gonna lose it any second, any second. And Aaron's like, Aaron's just like to this guy, it's like, you know, you're being very rude. So we're going to go over here, <laughs> you know, I said, Oh, that's an option. <laughs> and like, it, I was blown away. It's like, wow. Cause you're like, Hey, Hey, th- this is, you know, this is what I think, but I don't have to be here. So I'm just, I'm just going to go over here and you can, you know, be, be a freak by yourself or something like that. And that didn't even occur to me in the moment. It's like, that was so cool. It's like that, like it's stereotype where, you know, you're, it's like the cool guy walking away from the explosion. And like, that's my wife right now. Is that, whoa, that's like, that's, uh, yeah. So it's, it's really inspiring that, yeah, you don't have to like freak out. You're just be like, yeah, hasta. <laughs> Wait, do you face off? Oh man, I'm so old. Yeah. I don't think, yeah. I'll say peace out. I think that's more contemporary. So. I, I really admire that. And I think that can be applied to a lot of situations where you don't have to work, get worked up about everything. You don't have to dwell on them all the time. You know, you have, you have another option and yeah, it doesn't mean you're ignoring the problem. It just doesn't mean, it just means you don't have to make things your problem all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. I would say that in an INFP ESTJ pairing, is something that is probably not going to be successful unless you have a reasonable amount of maturity between both people when you're starting it or a lot of experience with that. Like if you've got like, like siblings or within your family, you already have that experience going on. So, you know, you've learned how to deal with it because um, there are a lot of differences. It's great once you can settle past that, you know, and you're mature enough to deal with it. And but the one other thing I always tell people is Myers Briggs, do not use Myers Briggs pairings, anybody's advice on what makes that ideal as a as a reason why you should date or marry somebody. Mm-hmm. What you need to find way more than that is the same core values. Because if you have the same core values, that'll get you through the um, conversations you will have of misunderstanding each other. Because they're going to happen. You know, it doesn't matter which type you are with. You're going to have conversations where you don't understand each other, where something was said and one person thought they were being mean, the other person didn't think they were being mean. You know, it's in which case you have to have this maturity level of saying, okay, that sounded mean, but I'm going to assume you didn't mean to be mean because I'm mature and you're mature and I know you love me. So we're going to 
back that up and, you know, mm-hmm. figure out why. I mean, even if you had two people of the same type, yeah, everybody has different um, cultural backgrounds, family backgrounds, connotations and meanings to words that you could say something and the other person doesn't understand you. And so you have to be, uh, if you don't have core values to fall back on at the time, it's, it's a lot harder to work through those misunderstandings, you know, it, between people of things you say or actions you did. And it, but I also think core values, if you share them, it gives you a unifying over purpose to like, okay, we can, you know, we've got this. So, um, it's, and you know, that doesn't mean that you have to come from the same family backgrounds to have the same corporate core purposes or same core vision for things. You know, you can, it's totally okay. If you choose, you know, Hey, I am not going to, I don't want my life to look like the home life I grew up with or the culture I grew up around or, you know, or whatever. And I'm going to decide I want something different. That's fine. You know, (laughs) in fact, studies have shown that, um, People, uh, couples who share the same religious affiliation, but one of them has converted are the most least likely to divorce hmm. compared to, uh, to a lot of other sectors, you know? So it's, so if you've got two people who really, and I think what that boils down to is if you're adult enough to know these are my core values and not just something that I you know, grow up with and haven't examined and haven't thought through, you know, ever in my life, because they're just the ones I've been exposed to. If you know what your core values are, and you find somebody who has fairly matching core values, it, it, it just works so much better. You know, and I also think that INFPs are not afraid of, um, they're not afraid of our bluntness at times, you know, like, it may startle them at first, like the way we are and the way we act. But I think, that's something that they, they get used to and it's okay. And it's also not a competition. I never dated anybody else, but I think one of the things that would be hard for me if I had um, dated another TE Dom is feeling like I'm always in competition with him over who can TE better, you know, over topics where there's no competition like that with my husband, you know, it's very easy to say, no, this is your your wheelhouse. This is my wheelhouse, you know, of, of things. I'm not saying that kind of pairing can't work, but that was definitely, I think, a blessing of our relationship is I don't feel like I have to compete against, you know, against him and somebody else um, on that side of things. And I also think that INFP males because they feel very um, different compared to everybody to most other guys, you know, usually it takes them a while to find other INFP guys. ESTJ women kind of experience the same thing mm-hmm. on the side of we're surrounded by a bunch of women who the expectation is we're all feelers. More of the women you meet are going to be feelers than not we kind of sometimes can feel odd men out at times too in that sense of both of us going, Oh, we're both odd men out. And you know, like, or like I've read like back when we were dating, I read a bunch of, you know, uh, 
counseling books, you know, different topics. He, you know, he's this way. Here's a list of five things. He's like this and five ways she's like this and I'd read the books. And I'd be like, yeah, he's got one on the, his list. I've got all four of the other ones on his list. And he's got, I got one on my list and he's got the other four over here. And you find this like sense of like, Oh, like, yeah, that's, I'm not typical in this area, but you not either, but it balances and it matches and it correlates. And when you find that person, you're like, Oh, this is, this is good. You know, like, you know, we have this going on, you know, uh, which is very, it, it creates, I think a stronger bond that way when you have those things going on. And so it's just one of the, definitely a blessing <laughs> of this pairing. Yeah. yeah. Being a thinker woman and a feeler man, it's atypical of the stereotypical because most people assume for women to be feelers and most people assume for men to be thinkers. And so you can feel like you're not exactly the the stereotype of of the, the gender that you are. And so to have someone else who has like a similar experience, it, it, it's it's quite like refreshing. It's like, oh, we're both we're both a little atypical for our <laughs> for our <laughs> and i will love you yeah yeah I, I, yeah uh, that's fantastic and i'm so glad you brought that up amy and and elaborated choice because yeah like even though yeah you're very different like in terms of like the, the functions yeah just the fact that you don't necessarily conform to society's gender roles it means oh wow you get it you know what it's like. You probably got called like all sorts of names, like yeah. growing up or like in the workplace. And no, it's not like, even so much that. So much as like, I didn't have girlfriends. Like you know, I had some girlfriends in high school, but like in college, I didn't have girlfriends. Like all my friends were guys. Like yeah. I, I, there was one other girl who was dating a different guy in the group, and then we'd have one. Like it was literally a cycle of one other girl that would be in the group. And sometimes she'd be dating one of the other guys. Sometimes she wouldn't but they didn't ever really stay for terribly long. And it was just a very weird experience like on that side, but it helps to find that sense of balance and non, non competition, you know, between things, you know, even though, you know, there are some things that are very stereotypical on the side of, um, you know, ideally I'd rather be, you know, a stay at home mom. I'd rather do, you know, a lot of other things that might be, stereotypical in some ways but my way of getting there is not stereotypical you know <laughs> compared to other people but that's okay and he you know he's okay with that and i appreciate the the differences of what how how he thinks through things compared to the way i think through things um and that's uh, been good and on a different note i think um i think all estjs while we're looking for feedback we also have a very very wide protective streak in us. So finding somebody that that you can protect within your wheelhouse of how you do, how you protect people is nice. And INFP males, while there are some areas we have no need to protect you in because you're, you know, capable of doing things, there are some areas that's like, no, really, do not make my guy cry. I will make you cry. Like that, that you know, that's not, you know, we're not cool with that. You know, like, or like you, there's a sense of like ability to bolster what's going on. And particularly I think for us, because my husband had found his passion and his calling before 
we met um, that it was like, oh, I've got something, you know, defined to, to throw myself into. Like I can, I can do this. We can make, you know, I can be very much on his side. And now that he's not doing that as much anymore because he had a job change and, but I can still be there for him in other ways and still be that bulwark of defense, which I enjoy that role, you know, mm -hmm. it, it's something that I think most ESTJs would enjoy, you know, a sense mm -hmm. of protecting others and um, yeah. Yeah. showing compassion and stuff like that. So the fact that INFP males are continually dealing with existential crises, at times I'm annoyed, but mostly I'm not, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. most of the time I'm like, nope, that's okay. Like I can, protect you from the world while you're doing that. And I, I kind of enjoy that at times, you know, like <laughs> it's okay, you know, it, um, or other things. And it's uh, a, a difference that, you know, I, I enjoy. It's really great how you enjoy protecting others. So we were talking about earlier how different personality indicators are basically saying the same thing sometimes. Basically, a lot of some some ESTJ traits they, they slightly align with the type in, in the Enneagram in general because type eights are known as protecting people when they need protection, and mm -hmm. and yeah, so a lot of personality indicators are basically the, the same thing but written in slightly different language. <laughs> um, but yeah, any last thoughts before we close off? I was just gonna say just with that last topic we had of of us being exact opposites and being at different ends of the spectrum you could say like if if you are aware of that and you agree that you are in your relationship that's that's a good way to start and if you can agree to try to meet in the middle when it makes sense when you're coming to decision making or when you're at opposing sides of an argument or a way forward that level of awareness and agreement as a starting point is is really important to a, a functioning relationship mm -hmm. and it, having like a common way to just understand each other. Like I know Paul sometimes will say like, oh, that's your extroverted side coming out. And I don't always communicate that same way, but I know what he's saying and he's communicating clearly about what he's seeing in me or how he's thinking through something is um, is really helpful for, for me. I, I like to have a plan. I like to see things very clearly. I like to have that agreement. So he doesn't always come at things that way, but he does with the MBTI. He does when he's talking about personalities and categorizing. So that it, even if it's not through MBTI, but having that awareness of how people communicate and where you're coming from, I find that helpful just as a frame of of how we communicate and how we relate to each other. And um, just one other benefit I see in, and how we're complementary is his nurturing side as a, as a male um, INFP. And what I hear about now that I'm learning that that's really rare and um, special. And it's, it's non-typical and must've been really difficult growing up. And I agree, ESTJ as a woman, still difficult, still difficult to work um, 
and I hear you about having a lot of male friends until I did the MBA. And then I think I found a lot of other females that were very similar. I think it comes in, in waves as you age, you know, and as you change, change your personality. And sometimes it's just a matter of like moving to a different location, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, that, that can make all the difference as far as yeah. that goes. So, yeah. yeah, I think that his, his nurturing side, like making space for that, for, for him to be fully, able to take care of me like not in the traditional male sense of like the provider but like really he will do things like doing laundry or doing dishes and unlike me which i agree with you amy like i like to be seen for that work and thanked for that work um he doesn't necessarily thrive on that he just does it because he knows that i appreciate it whether i say it or not and that it's his way of taking care of me and um in in the smaller everyday familiar ways that he feels confident and comfortable doing and as a like a i would say the primary decision maker in my work and in our lives i appreciate that i don't have to make those decisions and he sees a need and just does them so i think that is part of the success with us as, as being on those different ends of the spectrum so but i do try to recognize him for that work and I would say that I'm pretty good at that, like saying thank you and recognizing when he does it. So he continues to do it, <laughs> but it's also telling him that when I do those things, I like it when he recognizes me. So he hears that yeah. as well. My husband doesn't particularly when like, I know he's tired, he's talked to people all day long, but he knows I just need to talk, you know, like I need to have a conversation, whether it's just me rambling about my day or something I learned, you know, as much as he would dearly love to have, you know, a half hour of his own private mind space, that's, you know, he is willing to set that aside and, you know, listen to me do things. Oh, which a different question I have for you, Paul, um, mm. going back to the beginning, which was their personality hacker espoused a theory that for introverts, it is possible with your uh, pair bonded person to kind of put imprint them enough in yourself that you can still get alone time with them being present. If you spend enough time in, you know, years, this it may take years for that to happen, but um, it can alleviate that sense of um, I need to be by myself. Like I've noticed for my husband, he can still get his alone time if I'm around, as long as I'm not talking to him, like I can be in the room and he can mm -hmm. still get his introvert time in. Like, and in fact, he would even prefer if I sat on the couch and snuggled up next to him and read my own book, like he can introvert even better that way, you know, yeah. and, but it's, uh, so I was wondering if that has happened for you in your relationship where it's like, oh, uh, I used to be, maybe I had to introvert by myself, you know, nobody's around, you know, to get, to get my headspace right. But now it's like, oh, this is, this is, I can do this now. And this is different, you know, mm -hmm. you can have Aaron in the room. Yeah, totally. That to be true. Yeah, I'd I'd say that's very true, and and it definitely the the snuggling is wonderful. For example, <laughs> tactile sensation, but it doesn't have to be that. Like we could be on opposite ends of the couch. I could mm -hmm. be reading. She could be on the phone, or the TV could be on and stuff. But just the fact that she's there, you know, this person who I love so much and care so much about, and I'm constantly fascinated by and challenged by. Uh, it's amazing. And so the times where she's not there, like there's times she'll go away on a conference or she'll go on a like a little trip with friends. And like, I'm suddenly sitting there by myself. Like, oh, 
I feel so alone, <laughs> you know? And it's like to the point where like she comes in the door, like I'm sometimes I've tried to curb myself, but I'm like, I'm like that puppy, you know? It's like, oh my God, you're back. <laughs> um you know and you're you back. Know. i don't want you to talk to me i just want you to come sit over here and like you know you let me get back to miss you yeah um <laughs> i have noticed that too it, it, it's very funny um but it it does help i think on the side of like mm. if i need to get um if we need to go somewhere or do something he's not as afraid of going and hanging out because he still gets his alone, alone time as long as the two of us. Mm -hmm. Now yeah. we don't get quite as much of that because we have kids and they're awake and that definitely cancels out the whole alone spectrum yeah. <laughs> if they are. But, um, but I have noticed so that's something that I would encourage a introvert not to be afraid of in getting a relationship mm -hmm. with an extrovert is you, if, when, if that happens to you, it can allow you to have more space to be extroverted in your life that your extrovert can recognize as extrovert because we don't necessarily recognize sitting on the couch by you as being extrovert time that's practically introverted time for us you know um because we're not actually talking to you you know or, you know, if I'm reading my book, then I'm kind of extroverting on my own while you're introverting and that's all good, you know, like, and so it, that could be something that hope, I would hope that an introvert would not be scared of an extrovert for that reason, because there, there can be potential for not feeling as, uh, having more time for extrovertedness, what I'm trying yeah. to say, makes sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Perfect sense to me. And and then by the same token, because I've realized, yeah, she's probably not getting her extroverted stimulation with just me sitting there being quiet. But because like I've I've got that now defined comfort zone, like we're oh wow, but I, I can have my introverted time, like when we're at home together. And it actually makes it easier for me to socialize, like when we go off, you know, to parties with our friends or we see family members and stuff. Like I I used to be like do we have to, you know, and, and there's nothing against the people we're seeing, but it's just like, uh, you know, I, I feel I, I'm going to worry. I'm going to be exhausted or I won't know what to say and stuff. And I find it so much easier, like in the years we've been together, like to be in, in, you know, more extroverted situations and interacting with people. It's yeah, it's wonderful. There's that wonderful give and take we, we have yeah. where and it's very collaborative. It's very sharing. And one of the things I've learned as a parent now that I didn't really have so much when we were before we had kids, which is I'm no longer afraid to go to an event, take all my kids with me, you know, because I'm not I'm kind of um, free range in the sense of like my kids can go play with whatever other kids are there. I don't like I'm going to trust somebody's going to come tell me if there's a problem, you know, like and then I'll go deal with it and I'm just going to enjoy myself in the meantime. I'm not afraid to go to a party with my kids without my husband. Like, and just, and if people ask me where he is, I'm just going to say he needed some alone time. And most people today understand that custom, but it's kind of one of those, I don't feel pressured to feel like I have to bring him with me. If I brought the kids, like we need two parents so we can tag team the kids. Nope. I've just decided, no, it's just better for everybody. My mental health, his mental health, you know, nope. I'll just bring the kids by myself, take them, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I think when the kids are, it's kind of hard when your kids are in the seatbelt stage because 
everything takes longer going anywhere with seatbelts involved. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't, besides potty training, seatbelts is the next big like revolution <laughs> in time as a parent, you know, when they can do that all themselves and they're actually fast about getting in and out of the car. On the um, Two birds, one stone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, like, um, yeah. Uh, I think there have been definitely times where I'm like, even if I'm going grocery shopping, it's like, nope, load up, like put kids to bed, take anybody who's awake, you know, and just go, you know, did, you know, leave him to, you know, a true sense of silence for a little while. And, and sometimes he's like, Oh, are you sure that doesn't make, you know, make it harder on you going to the party or going grocery shopping. I'm like, dude, the mental relief of the fact that you actually got that of how much better you'll be by the time this activity is done. Nope. Nope. Totally worth, you know, doing it on my own. So that would just be a piece of advice. I would give, you know, any extrovert, you know, married to an introvert would be like, you know, there are opportunities like that as a parent that you can acknowledge for each other and help with, you know, not that I'm not very grateful at the moment because he's, you know, the kids are supposed to take naps and they were very tired. So I think they all mostly did, but he, you know, was feeding them lunch when we started and then he was going to put them down and do that stuff. So it's not like he's not capable of watching kids and, you know, dealing with stuff, but there are definite opportunities there. I would encourage you not to miss as a parent, (laughs) you know? Yeah. That's wonderfully put Amy. And so thank you everyone for coming out and really sharing your perspective on the ESTJ and INFP relationship. It it seems like ESTJs are great at moving things forward and making sure that situations are handled properly and that the INFP is great as a compass and really serving the introspective part of the relationship. And it seems like there's many lovely things about this dynamic. And I love how y'all are able to be yourself around each other. And you guys take away the stigma of being like a, a female thinker and a male feeler together. You know how to appreciate the, the atypical differences of the other person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we, and we're okay with that. And it bolsters ourselves when the other person looks at us and goes, yeah, you weird, but I like you, you know? And, and, you know, it, it's, that's a great poster. It is. It really is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The ESTJ pulls the INFP out of their head and the, and the INFP kind of thinks about all the existential issues for the ESTJ. <laughs> so, there's, a, there's a wonderful dynamic there. Yeah. And I, I love how, you know, Aaron, you're you're able to have a sort of confidence when you speak and that, you know, Paul's able to see all these, these amazing traits in you and that he mentions about how you're very great with people and your social skills. And so, yeah, that's like an ESTJ, like with, with some ESTJs, that, that is a superpower. And I'm sure Amy relates to because she loves talking to people <laughs> as well. So you kind of, you kind of bring Paul out of his shell into a more social, vibrant life. Um, and he's able to tolerate it more because because he likes you. And then it's it's able to make the whole experience more fun for him too. Because you mentioned how social events are funner when when he's able to like experience them with you. I believe he mentioned that. <laughs> yeah. 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 And so this relationship is it, it's very complimentary in a lot of ways. Yeah. No, the other thing I just mentioned is uh 
I think INFPs and ESTJs, if you don't share core values, like I could not marry every INFP. Although there have been times I've met other INFPs who are who share similar core values, and I'm like, oh, you know, in the random hypothetical world, yeah, that pairing potentially could mm-hmm. work. I mean, obviously, I don't travel down that path. That'd be stupid mentally to do. You know, nobody wants that. Um, but that doesn't mean I want to ha- handle all. You know, I'm not just gonna sit here and date a- any INFP. You know, God forbid something happens to my husband. You know, like there, you do need to be reasonably picky about the one you pick you know because i've seen similar pairings where it's like no like that would just drive me insane like you know yes you're an infp but that your values are just mm -mm, mm -mm, nope nope i can be nice to you don't want to share a life with you Mm -hmm. that's not happening and i'm sure infps feel the same way about different estjs so like it's it's a two-way street though you can't just you know, as much as I said, you need to share core values. I really am trying to also warn you. If you aren't sharing core values, you really, it, you're in for a, a much harder haul, you know, trying to make things work. As for any relationship. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, just I mean, one, one vector of how, of who people are and yeah. how you interact and how you get along. Just another thing to consider. Yeah, there's ESTJs I wouldn't want to date or marry, and there's definitely INFPs I would, don't want any part of whatsoever because I'd probably kill them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> true. yeah, it's a real universal truth when it comes to relationships is having that kind of common bond. Yeah, yeah, that, sh- that shared core values is like of the utmost important, probably of all things. And yeah, what Amy was saying about where you see the relationship like and and where you guys align with certain things is is super important for the cohesiveness long term so yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i I liked it amy when you said it's important to share like an underlying purpose uh, with your partner yeah that is true yeah because if your purposes deviate then the roads deviate as well yeah so that's important to consider. Amazingly put, Amy. I love how, Amy, you are able to to know what is really important to make a relationship work. And it's beyond MBTI type. It's about if your values can can get along well and, and if you guys are looking for the same things, because that's ultimately the most important. So so thank you for reaffirm like thank you for, for saying that. Cause, cause it's true and people often forget about it in the type space and then, and then they start to go like, you know, this type should only be with this type. And it's like, eh, nope. <laughs> I would rather be married to a, an INFJ, which is in theory, one of the worst pairings for an ESTJ that I shared core values with than an INFP who I didn't share core values with, you know? Mm-hmm. As much as that may drive me bonkers trying to talk with them about different things, because we don't share similar things, I would so much rather deal with that than the other way around. Mm-hmm. Like, don't let type limit you that way. Type is a helpful facilitator, not a um, basis to live your life around, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that way. Mm-hmm. That is that is true, yeah, yeah. That's very quotable, Amy. <laughs> type is a helpful facilitator but not a limiter and something to base your life decisions all around <laughs> and so yeah yeah brilliantly put paul yeah thank you for always being so chill and kind and offering such 
amazing. Quirkily, qu quirkily put insights into the panel. Like it's always, it adds like a little sprinkle of, of flavor and pizzazz to the panels. Cause you always say something that's like a little quirky and <laughs> it always adds like a flavor and a spice to the things that you're a part of. But it's in this like chill, relaxed way, which I really appreciate. You always make space for other people. You make so much space for other people that sometimes you forget to speak yourself. But I really appreciate like that quality about you where you just let people, let people be them. And I, I just really appreciate that about you. Yeah. And so thank you everyone for coming out. <laughs> Thanks for having right. us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye. Yeah. And thank you everyone for watching. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.